0: water here a couple of things that are uh we're we're trying to continually keep uh, each other connected as we grow this is kind of cool to watch this thing grow for those of you who have been here kind of from the start from last year uh you look around and you see it's it's tripled quadrupled size in one year and that's really cool but one of the difficult things is that it's harder and harder to keep connected with people uh, we do two things, what we, we say we would do two things here at Urban Grace, and one of them does, we believe, really keep you connected. Uh, one of those things that we do is this big. That's, it's getting bigger and bigger all the time, and we're really excited about that because that we think that it means more people coming to know Jesus, coming to hear about Jesus. So that's big. You'll hear Jesus' name a number of times in this message, uh, every Sunday because we are all about Jesus. Uh, At the big, we gather and we sing songs about Jesus. We sing about Him, more about Him than we do about ourselves. What's really important to us. We choose songs that pull you away from yourself and toward Jesus because we believe that you are not the answer to your problems. Jesus is. We also uh, take communion together. That's the Lord's table. You see that. You can already start preparing uh, your heart for that. This is the opportunity where you say, Jesus is. Uh, this week, I want you to work in my life and I'm mindful of what you have done for me. And now I can go and in, uh, in gracious generosity, you've given me gifts to, to use and to deliver to this world and I can serve and bless. And so that's an opportunity for you in the big to come and and, and experience Jesus in a very special way. But that's not the only way that we experience urban grace. In fact, there's another way in which we experience urban grace. And the percentages have not yet come in on this. But there are somewhere over the neighborhood of 50 percent of what you could experience in urban grace cannot happen here on Sunday morning. So if you feel in some ways that you're left out, you feel like I'm missing out on a little bit and I'm not involved in what we would call the small, the city groups, there's a, there's a reason why you feel left out. That's because we really don't think this is the only place in which you experience what's going on at Urban Grace and the community of Urban Grace. In fact, it's, it's fairly limited in the way we can connect with one another. And so we have these things called city groups, and we just kind of named it small. So it's very simple for everyone to remember. If you're new to Urban Grace, this is all new for you. If you're, you've are you been here for three weeks, this is already the third time you've heard me say this. We do big and we do small. And so if you want to feel more connected to Urban Grace, you love what's going on here, you feel the call of the Holy Spirit, we would encourage you to get involved in a city group, and you can sign up for one uh, by filling out one of those cards and say, I would like to know more about city groups. I would like to know where the nearest city group is. We are currently in the process. We are two weeks away from launching our fifth one. Now, hear me out, friends. Last year at in April, we had one. This is number five that we're going to launch, and we have all, every, all the statistics that are coming in are telling us that we're going to have to launch a number of them this year. In fact, we're hoping Jesus asks us to launch four more and be doubled by the year's end. So you can pray about that as well. One of the ways that we've... Uh, <clears throat> so again, if you want to get connected to a city group... Uh, just fill out one of those cards. They're called Connect Cards. They actually have a little thing with connected dots so you, like, don't mistake what card it is. Um, and fill one of those out, pop it in uh, the paint pail slash offering plates. Um, the other thing we've just kind of recently come out with to help you keep connected, to encourage people, to tell people that you're praying for them, are these fancy cards. They're postcards. Look at that. You're welcome. Those are awesome. Um, On the front, they say gospel, and there are really pictures of uh, our gospel side all over the city because it's kind of metaphorically what we're really about. We want to see the gospel go out in all of our city, in all kinds of different places in our city. And so this is one way you can cheaply advertise and encourage somebody at the same time. So you can write something on the back. There's a little, you can't miss it. It says postage right there. It explains the gospel right there on the back of the card you write something like i'm praying for you i hope i want you to come to my church i want you to know i'm thinking about you and i love you and and think you're doing great pop that in the mail and now the whole city begins to see the gospel see how cool and convenient that is so these are on the back table they are free of charge that is our gift to you well technically you guys pay for it because you guys give to the church so we spent your money doing this okay if that makes sense uh so pick some of those up if you want and uh Fire those throughout the city, wouldn't it be cool if uh, was our church was known as the church with all those postcards, um, keeping the postal service in business? Okay, got a lot to get through today, um, and so I want you to turn to your Bibles, and I want you to turn your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 11, Nehemiah chapter 11, and I'm going to read the scripture for you, it's a little shorter than what we've been reading, <clears throat> At Urban Grace, we go through Scripture. Uh, we're sequentially going through the book of Nehemiah. That is amazing things to teach us. It's, uh, I think it's uniquely designed to help us uh, at this point in this time. And so I'm going to read. If you don't have a Bible, would you slip your hand up and somebody in the back, some usher back there <laughs> hustling in, uh, will bring you a Bible. And if you don't have a Bible at home at all, keep that Bible. If you do have one, Keep it here for next week when you come back. Um, The cool thing is we're actually starting to need more Bibles. I think we've got to order some more Bibles because people actually need Bibles, and we're happy to do that. So if that's uh, your first Bible, keep that one. And we're going to read Nehemiah chapter 11, and this is what it says. Now, the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. These are the chiefs of the province who lived in Jerusalem, but in the towns of Judah, everyone lived on his property in their towns. Israel, the priests, the Levites, the temple servants, and the descendants of Solomon's servants. And in Jerusalem lived certain of the sons of Judah and of the sons of Benjamin. Of the sons of Judah... Athiah, the son of Uzziah, son of Zechariah, son of Amariah, son of Shephatiah, son of Mahalalel, of the sons of Perez, and Maasai, the son of Baruch, son of Kolhose, son of Haziah, son of Adiah, son of Joirib, son of Zechariah, son of the Shilonite. All of the sons of Perez who lived in Jerusalem were 468 valiant men. Don't judge me. You don't want to read this either. And these are the sons of Benjamin, Salu, the son of Meshulam, son of Joad, son of Padiah, son of Koliah, son of Mesai, son of Ithiel, son of Jeshiah, and his brothers, men of valor, 928. Joel, the son of Zichri, was their overseer, and Judah, the son of Hasenua, was second over the city. So that's all the the Levites, of the priests: Jediah, the son of Joarib, Jakin Sariah, the son of Hilkiah, son of Meshalim son of Zadok, son of Marioth, son of Ahitub, ruler of the house of God, and their brothers who did the work of the house, 822. And Adi the son of Jeroham, son of Pelilah, son of Amzi, son of Zachariah, son of Pashur, son of Malkaji, and his brothers, heads of his father's houses, 242. And Amishai, the son of Azrael, son of Azai, son of Meshilmoth, son of Immer. Why can't these guys have nicknames? And their brothers, mighty men of valor, 128. Their overseer was Zabdiel, the son of Hegadolim, And of the Levite, Shemaiah, the son of Hashub, son of Azrakam, son of Hashib- Hashabiah, son of, here he is again, Bunny. Really could have picked something else if you wanted a strong name. And Shabbatai and Josabad of the chiefs of the Levites who were over the outside work of the house of God. And Matniah, the son of Nika, son of Zabdi, son of Asaph, who was the leader of the praise. He was the band guy who gave thanks. And Bab- Babukiah the second among his brothers, and Abda, the son of Shemua, son of Golal, son of Jaduthun, all the Levites in the holy city were 284 about 284 families. The gates, Akub, Talamon, and their brothers who kept watch at the gates were 172. And the rest of Israel and of the priests and of the Levites were all in the towns of Judah, everyone in his inheritance. But the temple servants lived on Ophel and Zihah and Gishpah were over the temple servants. The overseers of the Levites in Jerusalem was Uzai the son of Bani, son of Hashbiah, son of Mataniah, son of Mekah, of the sons of Asaph, the singers, over the work of the house of God. There was a command from the king concerning them and a fixed provision for the singers as every day required. So there was a fixed busking uh, payment. And Bethaniah, the son of Meshes, Zabel, of the sons of Zerah, the son of Judah, was at the king's side in all matters concerning the people. Visitors, we're almost done here. And as for the villages, with their fields, some of the people of Judah lived in Kiriath Arba and its villages, and in Debon and its villages, in jeca and its villages, and in Jeshua and in Molada and in Beth Pellet, in Hazarushul, in Beersheba and its villages. It's my favorite. In Ziklag, in Mechaniah and its villages, in Enrimon, in Zorah, in Jarmuth, Zenoiah, Adullam and their villages, Lachish and its fields, and Ezekah and its villages. So they encamped from Beersheba to the valley of Hinnom. The people of Benjamin also lived from Geba onward at Michmash, Aja, Bethel, and its villages. Anathoth, Nob, (laughs) really? Ananiah, Hazer, Ramah, Gittaim, Hadid, Zeboim, Nebalat, Lod, and Ono, the valley of craftsmen, And certain divisions of the Levites in Judah were assigned to Benjamin. Now, pretty self-explanatory. Let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to make it clear to us, please. Jesus, um, in some ways we, we joke about these names because they're awkward for us to say. But in every way we believe that this scripture is for us and we need to know it. And we need to know about it. And we need to feel your gospel and your spirit through it. And so, Jesus, I pray today, no matter who is here, that you will speak to them. And that they are here for a specific purpose, for a specific reason. You will help them to understand the text, to apply the text, and to obey the text, Jesus. I can't do this. I don't want to do this. But you can do this. And I would like you to do it. So, Holy Spirit, would you come and help us today? Amen. Now, this may really surprise you, but in the process of starting a new church, especially starting a new church in the city, this text was very important. Uh, I'll take the next little bit. That's a joke if you're new. I'll take the next little bit to explain why I think so, but I want to begin by just kind of something that really grabbed me in the very early years of thinking through uh, planting the church, planting a church in the city of Calgary, thinking through, does Calgary really need another church? Like, is it not just filled full of churches, and are these churches not doing a fine job, and doesn't Calgary just need to take care of itself, and don't we need to do other things? Now, some of those things are true, and I'm, I'm not in opposition of that, but I came across a story that really impacted me uh, in some ways. It's the story of this conversation between Steve Jobs. Have you guys heard of Steve Jobs? Anyone know? Okay. No? No hands? Okay. Steve Jobs used to uh, be founder and president of Apple, and uh He had a conversation at the time in, I think it was in the 90s, maybe it was in late 80s. He had a conversation with a very, very important leader of a company that you may also have heard of called Pepsi, and he was president of Pepsi, and Steve Jobs really liked this guy. And so he flew out to New York on his private jet and wined and dined this guy, and his name was Again, John Scully, and he was trying to get him to come and work for Apple because he really thought that this would be a great connection for these two, these kind of bright minds. I mean, Steve Jobs has never been one to, like, assume himself he is the best at what he does, just ask him kind of guy. And uh, he thinks that his company deserves the best, and he saw the best in John Scully. And so what happened is they had this conversation and Scully later recalls this conversation and said there was a turning point because Scully was doing just fine at Pepsi. Uh, he had just kind of established Pepsi as, as the second, I guess, or depending on which side of this coin you're on. We're not going to split hairs here, but Pepsi or Coke. Um, he had just kind of brought Pepsi into the mix or maybe put Pepsi ahead. And... Scully was doing fine, he was happy, and Steve Jobs said something finally at the end of his conversations with him, at the end of the weekend, he just, I'll I'll read it for you because it's best put by the latest biographer of Steve Jobs. Scully said, Steve's head dropped as he stared at his feet, and after a weighty, uncomfortable pause, he issued a challenge that would haunt me for days. He said this, Do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugared water, or do you want a chance to change the world? (laughs) Like, if I was Scully, I'd be like, okay, you got me. Now, in a much, I think, less dramatic way, because I know I'm not nearly as influential, but I would say because we're a church and because we're about the gospel in a very important way, something similar happened to me in thinking through church planting and planting a church and being in the city of Calgary. I think we went through this process of figuring out, do we want to simply plant a church or do we want to change a city? And I think when I asked that question, I knew in my heart that I did not simply want to be involved in just planting a church For cool hipsters. At the time, I didn't know they were hipsters, but turns out that's what they were. And I'm partially hipster myself. I think my mom's half hipster, half American. Um, I wanted to be involved in changing the city. In order to do that, I had to wrestle with a lot of things. I had to wrestle with a lot of things that I think I see in the text. And a lot of things that I'm going to challenge you this morning, some of you did not expect to come in here and be challenged with this kind of thing. And I know that. If you're a visitor, again, we're hoping that you gain at least the gospel out of this. We're hoping that you come back and give this a try. But what we're talking about this morning is this idea of a movement into the city. Of a movement into the city. Typically churches don't talk about this because as churches we like to kind of keep our faith Especially in North America, very privatized. We don't like it to be talked about in corporate settings. We don't like to get lost in the mix. We like our own individual life. We don't try to want to kind of have to sell out. But at the same time, I think there's so many of us that want to be part of something much bigger than ourselves. You ever find yourself thinking that I want to be, I love being part of something really big. I want, to be, I want to be part of something that's way beyond whatever I could pull off in my lifetime. And when that came, that question came to me, and I asked myself that question. It was true for me, too. I said, I don't want to plant a church anymore. In fact, what I told God was, there's no way I'm moving to Calgary from this great job in this great little town with this great family, with this great place to live you know, paying off debt, doing all the things that pastors don't normally do and and say, which is I'm really happy and I love where I live and I'm paying off debt, right? Those are three things you rarely hear out of pastor's mouth. There's, There's only one reason why I do this, Jesus. Are you calling me and my family to be part of a movement? Are you calling me to be part of a movement that potentially changes the city of Calgary, therefore the city of Alberta, or the province of Alberta, therefore Canada? Now, some of you are like, well, you're really arrogant, Trev. (laughs) Yeah, kind of. But there was something in me that really stirred when I heard those things. But this is what I had to grapple with. Will I consider... This idea of moving me and my family into the city. Why do I talk about cities like that? Let me, let me just describe this. I've ta- this is a big theme here. We're in this series called Civitas. City is right in the title of our, of our series. But let me explain to you just this whole story of God is actually about cities. Did you know that? that that's in the story of God. Let me explain it this way. It, in the beginning, God creates man and woman, and he puts them in a garden. And some of us are still like, okay, well, that's what God is trying to get us to, is he's getting, trying to get us back to the garden because we destroyed everything. So Adam is put in the garden. I mean, this is, by the way, the most organic garden you can ever find. No chemicals have touched this garden. All of these animals are grain-fed, every single one of them. Even the animals that eat the other animals are grain-fed. This is a beautiful place. This is what so many in our area are trying to get back to, is this beautiful garden. And they sin. Adam and Eve sin. And God banishes them from the garden. And did you know from that day on that the story of God's people was they began to build cities? In Genesis chapter 4, the first thing that happens, that one of the first things that we see happen with Cain... Who was a very rebellious, and this is where you know some commentators are like, uh, "This is this is the negative side of humanity." But actually, what we see is that Cain begins to build a city, and then by Genesis chapter eleven, we see that things have gotten so bad, and God has actually come in and He's flooded the entire earth. He's wiped out the entire earth and basically said, "Okay, I'm going to give you earth." the opportunity to start again. I'm going to start with Noah again, just like I did with Adam. I'm going to start over and I'm going to see what happens again. I'm going to show you what happens. And six chapters later or five chapters later, they are even worse than before Noah. And the pinnacle of this is what? The pinnacle of this is in Genesis chapter 11, where God's People that used to be God's people, God's sinful people, now are building a city for themselves. That's how they do it. That's how they rebel. I know what we'll do, how to rebel against God. I know how to make our name great. We'll build a city, and we'll put a big tower in our city. I mean, you don't have to look that far. That's still what happens in cities, isn't it? Every city is like, we're going to have the biggest tower. No, 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 we're going to have the biggest tower. Right? This this still happens. And the rest of Scripture is about the recovery of God's idea of building the city. Did you know that in Genesis, again, there is this garden, and that is where humanity starts, but in Revelation, and we'll sing about it in in a bit, this holy city, do you know how it's described? It's described as a massive city with a garden in it. This is why cities, I think, still have, intuitively, want to have these big green spaces in the center of the city. Because I think there's something in our DNA that wants us to be like God, and so we continue to do this. This is a massive city, but it's a city that's very different from, from Genesis chapter 11 city, where the people are there to build a city for themselves. This city, in Revelation is described as God's city, where everything goes right, nothing goes wrong. There are no horrible pedestrian bike paths. And there's no big bad tracks to hit them. It's a beautiful, it's so big that I actually did it like, I don't think the idea is the size behind the city, but I think it's trying to get a picture around how big the city is. So I looked at the way the Bible describes it, and it literally describes this city with walls from Vancouver to Winnipeg to Kansas or somewhere in there to san diego that's a big city my friends that makes new york look like Airdrie. seriously i mean that's how god described heaven is this great beautiful city that literally has a mountain range. can you imagine a city that has a mountain range in the center of it i mean some of you are like okay if that's true i'm becoming a christian today because i'm into that yeah this is what's great about God. He designs this great, awesome city. Some of you are still resistant to this idea of city, and we're going to get into this in a second. But what happens is then God consistently begins to build this idea of city into his people. And so what happens in, in the book of Deuteronomy is as he takes his people out of slavery, he actually puts before them land. And so Deuteronomy is a book that is it's, it's basically 33 sermons. And it's 33 sermons about the the people almost perched on the bank. And they're sitting there and they're listening to 33 of Moses' sermons, his last words. Can you imagine that? Thank the Lord we only do one at a time. They did 33. And so Moses is preaching this. And the first thing that he says is, you're going to go into the land. Or what happened is, um, God said, I want you to go into the land. And so the people were like, okay, let's spy it out. What we have in our mind? Especially if you grew up in Sunday school, we used to sing this song, Twelve men went to spy on and ten were bad and two were good. Does anyone remember that song, or am I totally dating myself? Okay, I sang that at camp, and it was like, it got faster and faster and faster, and it's like, this is about God's redemptive plan, and we're like, look at us, we're doing jumping jacks. It was weird. Anyways, people still got saved in that era. That's amazing. Um, but what we forget is this idea that, you know, when I, when I pictured that even as a kid, all I pictured was a big vineyard full of grapes and, like, land. But in the text, it actually says God wants his people to go into the land of Canaan and take the cities. That's how it's described. And so the people went in. They said, these are amazing cities. But you know what? They're big. They're bad and they're scary for us. They they're great. They offer a lot, but they're really they're they're really terrifying because they're they're so awesome. And and God actually holds them back and he says, "Okay, your generation's not going to get to do this. The next generation is." And that's why there's such a long time of waiting for God's people to move in. But you know what he wants them to move in? The cities. So then they begin to build cities and they finally build this great city called Jerusalem. And what happens is the same thing that happened later on is what's happened in Genesis chapter chapter 11, where the people begin to depend not on God, but on the city. And how this idea of this city is awesome, the city is great, the city is for me, the city is about me. And God said, wait a second, I gave you the city, you don't worship the city, you worship me in the city. And the people are like, no, 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 we worship the city, it's awesome. God says, don't do that. He sent a number of prophets. A number of memos, a number of emails to the people said, don't do that, don't worship the city, worship me. And the people did not listen. And so he says, what's he going to do to discipline them? He sent them into exile. How do you think he sent them into exile? Do you know what he did? He took away their city. He took away their city. That's literally what happened. In the outskirts of Judah and Israel, Babylon didn't touch. They went marched right in Jerusalem and took Jerusalem to the ground, destroyed its walls, took away all the young urban professionals in that city, toted them off to Babylon. And so for 141 years, this is actually where that's the introduction, by the way. For 140 years, the people have watched the city lie in ruins. But as God removed his people from Jerusalem in order to discipline, he pushed them towards another city called Babylon. Now, if you know biblical history, or even if you don't, let me tell you this. Babylon represents everything that's wrong with humanity in the Bible. Every time you see the word Babylon, it's negative. Every time. There are no exceptions to this. Even in the imagery in Zechariah. When the prophet Zechariah calls his people back to uh, build a temple, what he basically says is, um, you've got to leave the city of Babylon and come back to the city of Jerusalem. But before he gets there, God sends his people to Babylon. But interestingly enough, he does not send them there to live in the suburbs. He sends them there to live in the city. This is crazy stuff. This is in your scriptures. This is what happens in Jeremiah. And Jeremiah is actually, by the way, chronologically, it's before the time of Nehemiah. But in Jeremiah 29, 28 and 29, what you have is a false prophet and a true prophet. And here's what the false prophet says. The false prophet says, it's only going to be two years, so God's going to remove you from Jerusalem, take you over to Babylon, but don't settle there. Don't buy a home. Don't get involved in community life. You stay Literally, you stay out in the suburbs, build these houses out here because it's only a matter of time, two years, and you guys are going to be out there. And you know what? Jeremiah comes in he says, that's not true. And that's not what God said. Here's what God said. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel to all the exiles who am I have sent into exile from Jerusalem For thus says the Lord of hosts, do not let your prophets and your diviners, those are people who tell the future, who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, says the Lord. And this is where we get the coffee cup verse that usually shows up at graduation on every graduate's mug who's grown up in a Christian home. For thus the Lord... Thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill you in my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. This is an amazing thing. Later, Jeremiah goes, and by the way, that false prophet, he's not true. And I know he's not true because he's going to die. And two years later, the prophet dies, or that year he dies. It's an amazing thing. And so even as God takes his people and disciplines about this city, he moves them over to the opposite city and he says, I want you to become worshipers of God here first. I want you to develop your concept of what it means to be a missionary in this city over here in Babylon, the enemy. And once you've become really good at building up this city, I want you to move back to Jerusalem. In 141 years, that's exactly what happens. Nehemiah hears from God and God says, Go back to Jerusalem and start rebuilding that city. This is fascinating to me. Because I think this is is very autobiographical for me too. Because at one point we lived in this city and we did not think this was a very suitable place for a family or a suitable place for ministry. And we wanted to get as far from the city as we possibly could, but still benefit from the city. So we moved to Bowdoin, which is a great place. And four years later, God had us right back almost in the same neighborhoods. We literally live blocks from where we used to live. Because God changed our hearts about the importance of the city and what He's doing with cities. So let's let's go through this a bit. Um, And 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 this is kind of the first thing I see. Um, I'm going to take more time on the front end of this and less time on the back end of this. So uh, hang tight. It's not they're not they're not even points. But the first point we see in the text is where you live matters. Where you live matters. I'm talking a lot about the city, but we have to do some things here if we're going to talk about the city. Uh, what we have, for the first two verses is an explanation of how the city of Jerusalem is repopulated. So what has happened is Nehemiah has come in to the city and he started this rebuilding project and the temple is already built. The temple represents the place in which God's presence emanates from. That was the center point. But the presence of God emanated from a city. And so this temple has been rebuilt and then Nehemiah comes in and he is part of rebuilding the, the the walls and that finishes in about chapter 6 or 7. And so the wall is kind of rebuilt here. We tried to rebuild the wall. Okay, that's our rendition of a rebuilt wall, okay? Don't judge us. But there's more work to do because something else has to happen in chapter 7. Basically Nehemiah gives us an idea of what's happening. The walls are rebuilt, the temple is rebuilt, But there's no people yet. It's not really a city until there's people in it. That's what Shakespeare even said. That he said, what is a city but the people? So you can build a temple. You can build walls. But you need people to really make it a real city. And so Nehemiah understands that if we are going to be an influential piece of the puzzle to proclaim God's glory and to show people the true God and show people how to worship God, we're going to have to populate this entire city that where the temple exists so that we can have a place in which the worship of the true God of the Bible emanates from. And he understands this idea of the ability to influence the entire culture Based upon what happens in that city, and that's exactly what happened. That influence and the way that that city even works today is still influential. Did you know that? There's still a heavy concentration on the city of Jerusalem. I don't know if you noticed, there's still people fighting over this is our city. It still happens. You know, we, uh, I sometimes throw this phrase out there when I'm, when I'm saying goodbye to someone, I say, peace in the Middle East, and then I intuitively think it'll never happen. The reason why I don't think it will happen is not because I don't believe in peace or that it should be uh, attempted, but because I know that when you believe that's your city, you'll die for it. And if you'll die for it, the fighting will never stop. It's still an important city. Calgary's kind of like that for me and in our province and in our country. Calgary is an influential city. Calgary is on the stage to be an even more influential city as it continues to grow. Some are already calling Calgary an economic capital in Canada. There are already books that have been written that say that Canada, just like Toronto used to be a major influencer in all of culture in Canada, that Calgary is set to be this kind of a city. Now, that's speculation, of course. We don't know. That's up to Jesus. But we believe that He has called us here for this time. What do I mean by a city? Well, here's what I mean by a city. A city is defined, uh, we get confused when I talk about that. Some of you are defining city in terms of city limits. So you notice that, um, like Calgary has a lot of city limits. Calgary geographically is more spread out than almost any city in North America, maybe even the world. I don't think a city of a million people has this much land mass as any other place in the world. So it, it can't really be defined in terms of city limits. And the word city is actually described in, um, when you divine it simply, it's a walkable human settlement. That's what a city is. So some of these small towns actually act a lot like cities. They're more urban than a lot of places in Calgary would. So by walkable human settlement, we're talking about a place where in a 10 to 50 minute walk, you can live, you can eat, you can buy your groceries, you can go to school, and you can work, and you can recreate in a 10 to 15 minute walk radius. I mean, you don't really need a car for it. That's what really has always defined a city. And now often we're defining cities in a very different way. And this is more of an art than a science, just so that you know. Like there are some definitions that just don't work here, and that's fine. It's a work in progress. And so when I say city, even the city of Calgary, I'm going to specify this for the purposes of helping you understand how this works. And we would call it, we've changed it to Urban Core. You know, I talk about this a lot. The Urban Core of Calgary. We say basically Urban Core is about 16th Ave, a little bit beyond. It gets fuzzy over there. It's about Deerfoot Trail. It's about Crowchild Trail. And it's about 17th Ave and a little bit beyond. That's about Urban Core for us, as we would understand it. Those are It's just all walkable in there. After that, you start to drive, and when you start to drive, you start to get cars, and when you start to get cars, you get less community, and you get further away. And it gets less urban, less cityish. But even in that definition, as we've kind of studied, we've realized, you know what, if you go over to Boness, it's very much like a city. And if you go over to Westbrook, that's very much like the city, too. And if you go over to Forest Lawn, that's very much like a city. And if you go kind of down and, and, and tr- trickle down towards just Chinook, Center, that's also kind of like city. And so it's, it's, it's hard to define. but what I want to kind of, I want to like make your definition of city a little bit smaller than simply, you know, 22x. Okay? And there are reasons for that because as you move outward, there's a different kind of lifestyle, different kind of mindset, different kind of influence. Different kind of ability to influence. It doesn't have the same influence. Let me explain it like this. Like if we have an 80-person church in, you know, south of 22X, I just don't think it gets the kind of opportunity that it does with, with it being here, located. I don't think that even our city groups, if we located them all outside the city, I don't think we have the same kind of influence. But inside, I think we have what I would say disproportionate influence. Meaning we don't need that much, but we have a much greater influence for our city. The other factor of cities that, that define cities is there's two factors, which would be uh, density and diversity. In cities and in urban cores, you have uh, more density than anywhere else in the world and more diversity than anywhere else in the world. And you guys know this. All you'd have to do is walk outside and you, you're like, OK pretty diverse and it's a lot denser than my life in Bowdoin, that's for sure. Even in my very neighborhood, there are three condos going up. As opposed to the way I I was involved in construction, so I watched a lot of the suburb communities kind of pop up. And I realized when those suburb communities grow, they grow geographically when they grow population-wise. Not in my neighborhood now. Things are getting smaller. People are getting closer together. Okay, why am I saying all this? Some of you are already tuned out because it doesn't feel like this is very much about the gospel. And this is why I'm saying all of these things. is Because uh, even a writer uh, by the name of John Dennis, uh, who just, a book just came out. I just got it this week. It's called Christ in Cities. We're going to have it for sale on the back table in a bit. And he says, really, the reason why we need to pay attention to this is because this is happening everywhere in the world. In 2010, it was the first time in history where more people lived in cities than in the country. Did you know that? That's never happened before. And yet at the same time, he's saying, the gospel is so badly underrepresented in these cities. It's terrible. That there is a unique opportunity. There are more people than ever that have lived in cities, and it's almost like there are less Christians than ever in cities. I bet over half of our church does not live in that urban core. It took me almost two years of living in Sunnyside before I met another Christian who lived in Sunnyside. And I meet a lot of people in my neighborhood. And many of them didn't even know what a church was and and did not have kind of an interest in it. And John Dennis says, cities, first of all, the reason why we need to pay attention to this is cities are filled with people that God loves. There are lots of people here in the urban core who Jesus loves deeply. Secondly, he says this, the gospel is the only message to save anyone anywhere. Did you hear me? The gospel is the only message to save anyone, anywhere. He's saying if you don't have a firm belief in the gospel, don't even make an attempt at wrapping your head around this. Thirdly, he says, cities now represent more than half the world's population. I just told you that. Fourth, cities are massively underrepresented by gospel belief. And so here's what I'm asking you to consider. I'm asking you to consider, like we see in Nehemiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, would you consider moving into the city? I said it. Would you consider moving into the city like the people in the outside of Jerusalem did? One in ten. We're not even going to do this in our church. Like, I'm not applying it that way. Our ushers have not been instructed to have, like, dice on the way out, and you roll the dice, and one in ten of you has to stay here. It's not what I'm saying. What I am saying is, would you consider it, please? The city core is vastly underrepresented with the gospel. There are just not enough people here who firmly believe that Jesus Christ is the answer to everything. And they need neighbors who believe that. Do you need Christians in the suburbs, in the country? Yes. Please hear me say that. I have repented of not saying that because I know how deadly that can be. But what I am saying is, please consider it. What are your objections? I've come up with four of your objections. Okay? Number one, the city is too dangerous. I've heard this. I mean, when we moved to the city... People literally said to us, I would never do that to my children. I was told that to my face. I would never do that to my children. I was like, well, thankfully they're not your children, so see you later. No, I didn't say that. That's really rude. Scratch that. Guys here are putting this on the Internet. I didn't say that. That was stupid. Okay, I'm repenting as we speak. But it was a challenge for me right away. The city's too dangerous. You know what? The city is dangerous. <laughs> um, but I think this deals a lot with the idol that I particularly see in Calgary. When you look at places like Avenue Magazine, and there's a list of like great communities every year. You should read it. It's very interesting. Best communities like. Five of them are in urban core. It seems to get less because I think other communities have more people, so they vote more and they are trying to, you know, get a fight started. Anyways, when it first came out, like seven of ten were urban core communities. But recently they asked, what's the number one factor for choosing the place where you live? What is it? Number one factor, safety. Number one. Number one. Hands down. Every year, Calgarians think more about their safety than anything else. Now, should we try and be safe? Yeah, I lock my bike up now. Seriously. I've gotten broken into. I lock my car door regularly. Trust in Jesus and lock your door. It's a dangerous place. Do I let my kids just run crazy when I'm, yeah. Yeah. It's a dangerous place. What's interesting is that as we have, um, as we have learned, what we've noticed is it's, it's really, to be honest, I, this is not statistical, but I don't feel like it's any more dangerous than anywhere else, especially Calgary. Calgary's not built this way. We don't have inner city, really, in the same way that many cities do. So I think, actually, it's less dangerous than the average city. It is dangerous. Everywhere is dangerous, by the way. I lived in Bowdoin, a town of about 1,200. It was the only place in Alberta that had a seven year old abducted in a 1,200 person town on the bike path that I traveled with my little Dinah regularly. Same bike path. I think everywhere is dangerous. While in Bowden, I also uh, had to, uh, was called out by the RSNP to break up a gunfight, and I threw a guy out of my house. So, this is Bowden, friends. This isn't like this isn't Sunnyside experiences. Everywhere I've been has been dangerous. But when has comfort been the number one reason why you do anything in the Christian life? When? Show me in the Bible where missionaries have said, well, the number one thing for me is safety, and that's it. I don't care what else. You'll never find it. And it's a cliche, but honestly, following Jesus is the safest place you can be. That's what we actually believe here. All I'm saying is put your money where your mouth is. Do you actually believe that? Do you believe Jesus could keep you safe? Do you think he could protect you in this? Okay, first objection. I know it's a big one. I know I'm touching buttons. Some of you are crying right now inside. I know it. Second, the city's too fast. This is a big one. City's, is, is the city not a fast place to live? Like, is it not fast around here? Some of you don't even want to drive in the urban core. Well, it's probably because we're not, I don't think cities are designed for people to try and drive them. That's what Calgarians don't get. In every other city in the entire world, they're trying to, like, not drive in the core. But in Calgary, it's like a right. I must drive with my SUV Hummer around. And how come parking's so expensive? Did you know that, that's not a normal position of life anywhere else in the entire world? Most other cities in the world, especially the larger ones, people are trying to not have cars because it's such a pain. But it's fast here. Life is fast. I'm still waiting for the lull. It's it's fast. I mean, things happen here really fast. Not because I like it either. Thirdly, the city is too expensive. How many have had this objection? Anybody willing to say that the city's too expensive? Tell you it's expensive here. I'm not even kidding. We moved from Bowdoin to uh, urban Calgary. In the same, I think I think we had less square footage here, and we doubled our rent, basically doubled, without a yard. We live in a, about a 1250, 1300 square foot duplex with no yard. I had the study church, your church office was in my bedroom for three years. I just moved it out three weeks ago, four weeks ago. There's still some books in my bedroom. My children climb the walls in my place at times. It's small. It's expensive. I remember hearing the story of Tim Keller when his his challenge was uh, called to plant a church and and someone just told him, it's just expensive. Just get used to it. Just stop fighting it. It's just going to be expensive. It's going to cost more. Again, show me an area of the Bible where God said, that is too expensive for you to do, don't do it. Did you know when they're in the desert and he, he said, God said, I want you to build me a place. He said, find me the best stuff you can find. Find me the most expensive materials on the face of the earth and build my tent in the desert with it. You don't have a tent, but I do, and it's got the most expensive material. When has money ever been an issue for God? I'm not even kidding about this, friends. When has that been the only factor? Is it expensive? Yes, it's expensive. So is your trip to Mexico. So is your third car. So is owning a home. So is owning enough computers and TVs. It's all expensive, friends. I've never once heard someone who is like, I don't know... I don't know if we should put another couch in or not. They're like, this is a right. Now, is having a big home a sin? Not for me. Well, maybe for me. Maybe not for you. But again, I'm challenging this. When is the expense of something the only determining factor? The only one. And some of you are making your entire decision upon God's call on your life to be involved in the city because you can't get over this. And you think it's your money. It's not your money. It's God's money. He said you could borrow it. Tell you, this is a big hurdle for us. I still don't know how we did it. My father-in-law sitting there, one of the ways we did it, we had to live with him for two, two months. That wasn't our plan and it wasn't his plan. Because we had to shift it around. Because it was not real. It was, this is was not easy. It's expensive. It's still expensive. I don't know. I, I came to this city with no people, no salary, no church, no skills. Somehow paid for an apartment duplex in the middle of a city. How did I do that? I didn't. Jesus did. That's how. Consider this. Fourth objection. This really ties into the city is expensive because the city dwellings are too small. It's interesting. Someone is talking. I, I, I'm trying to do this statistically. There's, we have some people in the, like the, the architectural and real estate world in our city, and so this is this is kind of from them. But a 2,000 square foot house. In the edge of the city, goes for around three hundred to three hundred fifty thousand dollars, two thousand square feet. An eight hundred square foot condo goes for roughly two hundred fifty to three hundred thousand, maybe in the three fifty range. In other words, honestly, cost isn't the issue; space is. Uh, also, owning versus renting is. We live in a in a province where we it's a it's a right to own. I mean, I still felt like at the I'm almost 40. I don't own any property yet. I am abnormal in Alberta. I know that. I understand that. I'm not abnormal if you look at the world stage, by the way. There's lots of people in the world in their 40s, very successful, who don't own anything. They rent. And this is one of the idols I think we worship around here. And one of the things I think we worship is our space. I mean, ask my wife. This is not easy. When you have Eve as your daughter, an eight-by-six bedroom is not enough, ever. This is not easy. There are toys everywhere, all the time. It's messy. These kids, like, I think there's literally, we have to paint our doors every year because our kids sit there and scratch at them to get out. (laughs) I'm kidding about that. Okay. We don't, there's no scratch marks on our door for my kids. I mean, like, I, I, it's small. We have to face this. But when has size of dwelling ever been an issue for God? Did you know we have the same size of home uh, that we had in and basically smaller than we've ever had? Did you know that we have more people in our home than we've ever had in our entire life? Our home gets used every single week. We often fill it up with 15 people. We regularly have 20 people in our home. We don't live in a house. We live in a duplex, a fourplex. It can be done. Anyone who's there also knows, Like this has kind of become fairly normal for us too. It can happen if Jesus is in it. So let me ask you, do you need space because you have stuff that you don't need? Is that why you need space? Do you need space because that's what the person next to you, your family member says, that's what you need to do to grow up? Do you need space because that's just what I do? I would say, honestly, it's a blessing having smaller spaces. I don't I'm a stuff guy. I struggle with this, collecting stuff. I think this is why Jesus called me the city. You can't have stuff in the city. You're just not allowed the toys that everyone else has. I've got like a fishing rod and a bike. And even that bike is like, it's literally on top of my water heater because there's no space for it. Don't tell my landlord. This is not... It's, it's good for me that I don't have stuff because you know what? At the end of the day, at the end of my life, one of the things I'm not going to go is, man, I wish I had collected more things. Have you even said, like how many of you have moved? How many of you said when you moved, how did I get so much stuff? Anyone said that? I have too much stuff. I got to get rid of it. You know, it's, it's funny. The same, the same argument for like, I need more space are the same people who have garage sales getting rid of their stuff. I'm just challenging this, friends. I'm just challenging this. This is actually a movement everywhere else in our country but Calgary. Vancouver is starting to sell 400 square foot dwellings. And you know what those people say? My quality of life has never been better. Because I don't think about stuff all the time. I go outside and spend it with people in the beautiful parks that are bigger in the city than they are in the suburbs. My kids go outside and do things. Like we go for bikes regularly because there's nothing else to do in our house. And it's so good. you know how many people I meet in my neighborhood because I'm on a bike ride with my kids? That's like my main missionary moment. It's like oh, I'm out with the kids again. How oh, cool! Like, like it's not. Don't view it negatively, please. Lastly, the city is hard. I like it easy. How many of you is this? Is you? It's hard work, friends. It's hard. You have to give up things that you don't like giving up. You have to spend time next to people you don't really like. You have to watch out for your safety like you've never watched before. Your stuff addiction is challenged. You meet people you don't agree with all the time. It's way harder. It's way harder, friends. Don't kid yourself. It's not the easy ask. This is the hard ask. But again, what I noticed is that as the city was a harder place to live, what I discovered about myself is I thought I was much more spiritually in shape than I actually was. You ever discovered this about yourself? You think you're in shape, and then you have a job, and you're like, I am out of shape. Like, I, w- I thought I wasn't too badly out of shape, and then I had an office on the third floor with no elevator. I found out very quickly what kind of shape I was in. So that was, people would be like, what? where are you running from? I'm like, I'm not running. I'm just climbing up the stairs to my office. I found out that when I moved to the city, I was way more spiritually out of shape than I had thought. I didn't think I had, I thought I had a great prayer life. I've never prayed like I prayed here. Hey, babe, like we've never prayed as a family. Like, because you get desperate when it's hard, don't you? Like, Jesus, please. You better show up because we're dead. If you don't, it's a hard place to live, but I tell you what it will do it will put you in spiritual shape. Like few other things, it'll cause you to it'll cause you to think about all of your idols, all of your dependencies, like hardly anything else. I know. I mean, I love a challenge. I'm the guy who wants to risk. I cheer for the underdog. I want the I cheer for the team that's down fifty points because I'm like, oh yeah, I want a, I want a real challenge. But I had no idea what kind of challenge it was to live in the city. I had no idea how hard it was. And anyone that has done this in the past three years will tell you exactly the same thing. It is hard. But it's good. Secondly, second point. These are quick visitors. Leaders go first. You think I could stand up here and tell you that uh, you should move into the city, but I'm going to not? How do you think that would go with you guys? Wouldn't go anywhere. This is exactly what happens. Now, the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem. Nehemiah knew this. We don't have anything in the text that explains this, but we know that Nehemiah was like, look, we cannot call these people to live and repopulate the city with people that worship God if we don't. And so the Levites, the priests, the gatekeepers, the leaders go first. And this is a priority at Urban Grace. The first thing we did, I said it was 70% of our like, mission statement was, we're just going to go into the city and live there and let Jesus do what He wants to do. And you know that has been the one thing where someone says, well, I can't. I just go, well, look at us. What do you think about us then? You think we could do this? You think this was easy for us? You think we like no space? Like sometimes I'll visit somebody in the suburbs and I'll go, oh, that's what a house looks like? You have a room that nobody sleeps in? That's amazing. I've never seen it before. Like, but if I didn't go first, I don't think any of you would believe anything I'm saying. I don't think we could ever call people to come to live in the city I don't think we could ever help people deal with challenges I don't, think, I don't think we would have this church I think it's that important of a concept and you know how many people's eyes light up when they hear uh, "Well, where do you live? I'm like well we live like two blocks from where we meet oh wow it's like for some reason people aren't thinking about this and I'm also like, I'm now, because of the influence that Jesus is bringing, there's church planters that want to see what we're doing and how we do it. You know why? Because we live in the city. That's a little shameless plug. But when people come and they want to plant a church in the city, and they say, yeah, well, we want to plant a church in the city, but you know what, we, I don't think we're going to live there. And I'm just kind of honest. I don't think that'll work, guys. I don't think it'll work. How do you call people to repent when you won't repent? How do you call people to change their lifestyle when you won't change your lifestyle? How do you call people to give up their stuff and when you won't give up your stuff? How do you call people to trust in God when you won't trust in God? It doesn't work. And this is a repeated theme in Nehemiah, isn't it? The leaders go first. The character of the leader matters. And so we've been very careful. Even in our city groups, we've said, leadership, you to—you th- got to think about this. Now, we have two city groups that are not in what we would call the city. Do you know why? Because we're just collecting people that are already coming from the outside. I mean, this is amazing. We have people from Cochrane. We have people from Airdrie. We have people from Sundry. We have people from Okotoks. We have some people from Strathmore. I mean, this is crazy to me. So we're, we're all we're doing there is just collecting the people that are already coming. But we've said one thing we can't have you do is fight us on this. And if you want to be a leader, you've got to know you're, you're having a city-centric focus if you want to move up in leadership at Urban Grace. Because it's so much a part of our DNA. We won't, we won't have fighting on this. There's no way. That's because we believe this principle. We can't ask people to do this if our leadership won't do it. And lastly, it's a group project. Some of you right now are like, oh, crap. We're going to sing songs, and all I'm going to think about is plans for this and this and this. Let me just put you at ease. You know what happens in the text here is one out of ten go. Not nine out of ten. One out of ten go. And you know what happens? And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in the city. Do not blame me. Don't. Don't move then. Don't move if you're just going to blame the pastor and blame the church. That's not a willing move. And I think what happened is that I don't, you know, you can almost see them like marching through and they're drawing straws. And it's like, some are like, oh, please, 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 long straw, long straw, long straw, long straw. Don't make me move to the city. Don't make me move. And there were some people that, you know what, I'm already there. I'll take your short straw. I'll do it. And, and the people were like, sweet. This is a group project. You need people in the suburbs. They're the ones who have the money. I'm not, I'm not, you think I'm joking about this. Our major donors, some of our major donors do not even go here and do not live in the city. And that's kind of how it works. It's like they want to bless this. We got a brand new computer back there. Do you know where it's from? It's from a small town in rural Alberta that said, we want to participate in Urban Grace Blessing the City. We're definitely not moving there, but we can buy them a MacBook Pro. This is living proof that this is a team project. This is a group project. If you feel called to live where you live That's awesome. Stay there. But remember to support everyone that does. And remember to say, like, this is going to be our focus. So you join in. And you know what? What I love sometimes, what's the most powerful for me, is to see people who drive a long way to be part of Urban Grace that say, this isn't a big deal for me. I'm just happy to be part of the gospel being proclaimed in the city. And I say, amen. Please stay where you are. We don't need you here. Stay where you are. But some of you need to move. And some of you need to consider this. And I leave you with this. I know this was a long one. This was a big message. Seven years in the making. So don't judge me again. But what happens in Deuteronomy is Moses said, I sent, we sent seven spies in to see how good the city was. And it was really good, but you didn't move on that because you were scared. <laughs> Whoa, we're missing David here this morning. If if he was here, he'd be like, "Good word." <laughs> but in this text, what we see is, well, I'll read you it uh, in chapter one here. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then all of you came near to me and said, Let us send men before us that they may explore the land for us and bring us word again of the way by which we must go up and the cities into which we must come. Things seemed good to me. I took 12 men from you, one man from each tribe. And they turned and they went up to the hill country in the valley of Eshkol and spied it out. And they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us and brought us again and said, It is good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Yet you would not go up but rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. Do you know why they didn't go? They were afraid that God would not come through on his promises. I don't care where you live. God does. I don't. But what I'm hoping at the end of the day is no matter if you're a visitor here this morning, this is your first time, you're like, whoa, seriously, this is going to be like this every Sunday? Yeah, kind of. But that's aside. What I'm hoping is that wherever you are, wherever you live, you believe that you are there placed by God, not because you're scared of what God may be calling you to and that's what happens in the book of Colossians as Paul ends his time with the speaking to the Colossians this is what he says to the Colossians he says the same way you believed in the gospel continue believing and living in the gospel this all i'm saying is the same way that you trusted in Jesus at the beginning of your christian life is the same way you have to continue to trust him in all things including where you live and can he provide it's no different Jesus did not, by bringing us into the city, ask us to do anything that we had not already been wanting to do, that is trust him with everything. It just kind of forced the issue a little bit quicker than we expected. And so let me just leave that with you. There's not a sign-up sheet for those who are coming in. Like, we're not checking, you know, like, those people are, no, we're not doing that. Because we don't need to. Jesus has got this covered. He knows. Some of you need to simply repent of your hatred of the city and your resistance to the way that urban grace is focused. Some of you need to repent of your comfort. All of us need to repent of our pride. And the way we do that is simply by looking at the cross and remembering that this is what's so great about Jesus. He said, I'm going to find the worst possible place I can find in the world. I'm going to go into, this, into the world where there are lots of sinners. There's lots of sin. People hate me. And I'm going to go there. I'm going to live with them. I'm going to be their Savior. I'm going to save them, call them to repentance, and teach them how to live on a mission for me and how to be involved in a city-building effort called the Kingdom of God. And so as you come to the table remember that the call that we're calling you to is not more than the call than what Jesus has already done for you. You can't pay God back with all of your sin by moving into the city friends and don't you dare try it's not worth it. Just see what Jesus has done for you. Ask him, are you saying this to me? Are you calling me Jesus? What are you calling me to do? In the beginning of Nehemiah, there is this idea that sometimes God calls people to walk away from things that are very good. I think it takes more courage to walk away from good things than it does from sinful things. And so don't think like you're making this in isolation. Just remember, Jesus walked away from the best place He knew, heaven, to come and live on this earth with you, to incarnate with you in your cities, so that you could hear about Him and join Him in the Holy City one day. Some of you, that's all you just need to hear. And so, I call the, the band up. Would you guys come up and lead us in singing? And as we sing, think through these things. Be thankful. It's our tradition simply that the first person up breaks the bread and you take. If you're not a Christian this morning, we just ask that you don't Partake, because this is for those who believe that Jesus is like this, not for those who don't. But become a Christian and then partake. And there will be some people up here to pray afterwards if you need to. Tom, I'll hand it to you.